What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the Saskatchewan Rough Riders' ongoing search for a new offensive coordinator. The retirement of star CFL receiver Brian Burnham. Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke visiting NFL teams. Bombers general manager Kyle Walters disputing that Mike O'Shea's contract extension is a done deal. Cody Fajardo having communication with the Riders. But first, the Ottawa Red Blacks have officially named Bob Dice as their new head coach. The 57-year-old has been with the organization since 2016 and took over as interim head coach in October following the dismissal of Paul Apelice. Was this the right hire for the team in the nation's capital? I like Bob Dice a lot. And Bob Dice, and I don't know him well for for full disclosure. It's not like him and I. He is from Winnipeg, but it's not like him and I get together and and swap stories over beers every Friday night. I don't know Bob Dice well. That being said, you can't find a person in around the CFL, formerly of the CFL anywhere, with a bad word to say about Bob Dice. And I got to say, that's pretty rare. Bob Dice could not have come from more humble beginnings in terms of the coaching fraternity. This is not someone who was a player and, you know, just kind of spun his big name into being a position coach, or this wasn't somebody who was the son of a coach. And, you know, from the time they were 22 and a graduate assistant somewhere, they were always destined to be a head coach. Now, this is a guy who was working a non-football job, coached at the amateur level for many, many years, worked his way up to U sports, finally got a shot in the pros once, I think he was already 40. If not, he was close to the age of 40 as a position coach with his hometown Blue Bombers, then later became an interim head coach at the Riders back in 2015. Finally, at 57, you said it, Doug, almost 60 years old, he's finally getting his chance to wear the big headset. And frankly, I'm happy for him. He deserves it. I do think that Ottawa made a good choice. I totally agree with you, Hodge. The one quote, though, that I can't understand came from general manager Sean Burke, who 
seem to want to state this multiple times that the fact that there was a bunch of positive feedback from the players did not play into his decision. I would think that would be a great thing to have going for you. And especially if you're the GM and Burke making this hire that you would want to know that your interim head coach has the players behind him. And clearly Ottawa played with much more energy when Dice took over as interim head coach compared to when Paul Apelice was the head coach of the Red Blacks, at least in 2022. So that for me, I just have a hard time understanding because if it didn't factor in, then what are some of the other reasons that you're hiring Dice, right? Burke mentioned that he's been with the organization. He's a foundational piece in Ottawa that's been with the Red Blacks for a long time. So clearly the relationships that he has in the building factored in. And I don't understand why the relationships with the players and those guys really wanting to play hard for him would not. So outside of that, this hire, I think, is spectacular. Bob Dice is universally respected in the coaching world. As you mentioned, Hodge has a long resume of finally working his way up to this job. And he was never going to do it in a way that, quite frankly, some other coaches have done by cutting down people or playing the politics game. He was going to let his work speak for itself. And I've had the pleasure of having a number of conversations with Mr. Dice. And even if he doesn't like a player, let's say, or his skill set, he doesn't talk negatively about that player. He either just focuses on the positives or just doesn't say anything at all. It's kind of like our moms used to tell us. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's how Dice approaches his craft. And I think that's part of the reason why the players love him so much, because when he talks to them, whether it's as a group or individually, he's really focused on what they can do to help the team, not what they can't do. That's not to say he doesn't want them to get better, but he's focused on that idea of how they fit into the team and how that can ultimately lead to wins. Now, that's how his tenure here is going to be decided, and winning ultimately is what's going to keep him in this job, which is what his predecessor, Lapolis, was not able to do, even though he came in with a bunch of hype after helping the Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup in 2019 as the offensive coordinator. So a much different type of hire in terms of the hype not being as much around Dice, but I think it ultimately for Ottawa was the best hire. There was a lot of thought that Sean Burke could reach back to his connections with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and perhaps hire Mark Washington or Tommy Condell or even Kahari Jones, who is joining Dice on the staff as an offensive coordinator. But I really like that Burke stepped back from that and ultimately made the best decision for the team. I'll say this about Burke's comment, and maybe I'm just a little biased because I remember a situation that actually has a startling number of similarities to this one. It was when Paul Apolise got fired as the head coach in Winnipeg. Tim Burke came in as the interim head coach, and even though the team was frankly awful under his guidance, the players banged the table for him to keep the job in 2013. And I don't think there's anything more dangerous in professional sports than a group of players that loves losing together. And the Ottawa Red Blacks have stunk to high heaven for three years now. I looked up the numbers today. They are 10 and 40 since the start of the 2019 season. And I believe over the last uh, three years, they are two and 23 at home, which is 
shockingly bad. Eight of those wins have come on the road. Two have come at home. By the way, I don't even remember offhand who won the Red Blacks MOP nomination this year. I guess it was Lorenzo Malden. It should have been our nation who still averaged over 20,000 fans in the stands at TD Play Stadium despite having two wins to cheer about the last four calendar years. That's remarkable. Um, But to me, the players banging the table for Tim Burke was never about them truly believing that he was a great head coach. It was about them wanting to keep their jobs and knowing that this guy trusts us. We understand how we fit in this organization. He's not going to push to bring in 20 new guys to compete with us who are veterans and have experience. He's going to maintain the status quo and help us keep our jobs. I don't think that's exactly what's going on in Ottawa. I do think that Ottawa has started that that curve, right? And we saw Sean Burke go and sign, I think it was 23 free agents last winter with CFL experience. So I'm not suggesting that the culture in Ottawa is anywhere near as bad as it was in Winnipeg in 2012 when Paul Apolice got fired. But the parallels between Lapo and the 10 years that have taken place since then and longstanding struggling organizations have me thinking about that. One other thing I'll say is any head coach, the most important thing that they can do outside of potentially influencing who their quarterback is going to be is surrounding themselves with elite talent at their coordinator spots. I think Kahari Jones is a fantastic hire as OC an assistant head coach and Baron Miles, a defensive coordinator, did some good things in Montreal. I think there are some things he needs to adjust within his scheme a little bit. That's not my interpretation. I'm not a big X's and O's guy. That's from people I've talked to around the league who have game planned from Baron Miles, particularly in the front seven. That being said, I'm very curious to see the way in which Ottawa could pick the pockets of the Montreal Alouettes in free agency, given how close we know Kahari and Baron are to a lot of the players in that locker room in La Belle Provence. You hit on something there, Hodge, that I think is important here. I think Burke has set some foundational pieces on this roster. He improved the offensive line immensely. And if Jeremiah Masoli can get through a season healthy, then I think last year there would have been more wins for the Ottawa Red Blacks. But they got to learn how to win close games, and they're going to have to do that under Dice. They were really competitive, and you could tell that the compete level was different when Dice took over as the interim head coach. But it's different when a guy is interim now he's the head coach so he needs to show that that can carry over and not just be that energy from the change because clearly the players were tired of hearing the messaging from Lapoli so we'll find out in 2023 and beyond with Dice but there are some pieces there and I think this situation is much different than Tim Burke I don't think Dice is going to have that terrible as a tenure (laughs) as a head coach, as Burke did. And I think the players are banging the table for Dice because they know that he has the type of traits as a leader of men that can really help this Ottawa franchise start winning, and as you alluded to, winning ball games at home. I do like the fact, and I really hope that we get to a point where we don't have to talk about this anymore, but that it's a minority hire, and then you have two minorities as the lead coordinators along with Dice on this staff. So, all around, the Red Blacks are checking a bunch of boxes. But I think most importantly, the box that you have to check at the top is, is Dice the best candidate for the job? And I would argue in this situation, that answer is a resounding yes. Well, also, I'll say this. 
in 2012, the Bombers had a remarkably incompetent general manager. I think the Ottawa Red Blacks have a very competent general manager at the moment. So that's another key distinction at play here. I just couldn't get over the parallels and the similarities over these two situations. But best of luck to Mr. Dice. He has certainly, one way or another, whether it works out well or not, he has certainly earned this shot. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are still searching for an offensive coordinator after Mark Mueller pulled his candidacy. Gahari Jones opted for Ottawa. And Jarius Jackson and Marcus Howell declined interviews with the team. According to my sources, Kelvy Jeffrey and Pete Costanza are doing second interviews for the job via Zoom on Wednesday. By the way, full disclosure, we're recording this podcast Tuesday. It'll be out first thing Wednesday morning. If news breaks late Tuesday, you'll just have to listen to next week's episode to hear us talk about it. Dunk, what do you make of this mess in Ryderville? <laughs> Dude, it is exactly that. It is not going well for the Rough Riders in a sense, and I think that's publicly, but I've said this all along that I felt like the guy that Craig Dickinson wanted to hire as offensive coordinator is the only person retained on the offensive side of the football, and that's Kelly Jeffrey. So talk to some people around the league, and they feel like there's a sense here that the Rough Riders are trying to make it look like they put on a search for the best possible coordinator, and then after being turned down or having people decide to go other places. For example, I've been told Kahari Jones was lowballed multiple times in terms of contract offers for that offensive coordinator job. And that's part of the reason why he went to Ottawa, that ultimately they'll just put Jeffrey in that role. And that's really seemingly what they wanted to do all along based on people inside and outside that building in Regina. So to me, that's what stands out about this situation is publicly it doesn't look good. I don't think it's a good look for the organization. And it's very difficult if you're a staff and a regime, Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson, only have one year left on their contract. So if you're an offensive coordinator going in there, that's potentially being elevated to that position for the first time. Let's say Mark Mueller, for an example. Do you want to sign just a one-year deal and be part of a staff that could be totally wiped out? And you're not sure of what that's going to look like in the future? Ideally, you want a multi-year contract where you're guaranteed, no matter what happens, to get paid at the very least. So I think that's part of the issue here. But I also think the other part of it is, does Saskatchewan really want to hire Kahari Jones, for example? Or do they really just want to make it look like they were trying as best they could and put Jeffrey in that position? I think it is the latter. And ultimately, we'll find out if Jeffrey is named the offensive coordinator. I know Pete Costanza is going through this process, and he was coveted or at least interviewed with some other teams in the past and as well this offseason. But if you're Costanza, why would you want to go into that situation as well, not knowing who your quarterback is going to be? You could go back to the Toronto Argonauts, who probably have a great chance to win the East Division again, and keep your name hot while you develop, let's say, one Mr. Chad Kelly if indeed McLeod Bethel-Thompson retires. And if Kelly has a great season, then Costanza's name will be even hotter in that coaching market. Now, I'm not saying Kelly's going to light the world on fire, but Costanza knows about Kelly more intimately than he does in terms of that big question mark that will be the next one that has to be answered in Saskatchewan after they find an offensive coordinator as to who's going to play quarterback for the Rough Riders in 2023. Yeah, I think Costanza is a rising name in this league. He's won five great cups since 2008, and he's done it in three different stops. He won a title 
with Calgary or multiple titles with Calgary, won a title with Winnipeg, won a title this past season in Toronto. He's somebody who certainly paid his dues, deserves to be an offensive coordinator in this league, probably should be an offensive coordinator in this league already, to be perfectly honest. I do think that the Riders are offering two-year contracts, which on the one hand is nice to give their candidates some security, but you mentioned it, Dunk. You don't want to be locked into a situation where 2024 comes along or, or heaven forbid, you know, week six of this CFL season comes along. The Riders start badly, and all of a sudden, the guy who hired you is gone, right? And, and, and you mentioned it to quarterback. That's the most important thing right for anybody to know going into whether it's a head coaching job oc job whatever who's your quarterback because at the end of the day if you don't have a good quarterback then you are like the chances of you succeeding as a coach regardless of what your skills and abilities are the odds of you succeeding plummet uh, un- unbelievably so so to me this is a situation where the riders and let's also talk about this the riders have really made their bed here right the riders fired Jason Moss. They didn't have to do that, by the way. They could have said, okay, look, we, we're going we're gonna to try to cultivate and improve uh, uh, you know, on-field players, the personnel. We're going to upgrade the personnel, try to have it fit what you do, maybe a little bit better, the kind of game you want to call a little bit better, and we're going to, to run it back right in, in, in 2023. They didn't do that. Right. Jason Moss was the scapegoat for the miserable season that they had, giving up 77 sacks. Uh, I think they finished eighth in scoring, ninth in yards. Not a good year. Uh, but Moss has had success in this league before. They didn't do that. They also didn't gut the whole thing. That was the other option they had is just clean house. They tried to have this happy medium. And, Doug, it seems as though it's blown up in their face a little bit. Um, I was on CKRM this week. It was asked, do you think the Riders are a, a toxic team? I said, I think that's probably overstating it a little bit, but it's clear that a lot of people who are qualified professionals don't want this job. And that is not a ringing endorsement of the situation in Ryderville right now. The smart way to go about this would have been to keep Jason Moss on until you feel like you found your guy. Now, I know that's not an ideal situation. That's how a lot of other teams do it. Until you find somebody better, you don't fire the guy that you have, especially if he's under contract i know they wanted to hold him up as the scapegoat but if you're jason moss you're saying how about you give me at least a decent middle of the pack offensive line instead of one as you said hodge that gave up a league high in terms of sacks and let me show you what i can do on offense how about you have guys that are healthy and in the lineup at the receiver position jack evans duke williams now there's probably some disciplinary stuff there with duke williams and Obviously, he had the helmet throw as well. But I think at the end of the season, the Riders were just done with him. And if you actually had some guys that could, you know, stay in the lineup and stay on the field for whatever reason, that could definitely help. And I always thought that it was weird in a way that Craig Dickinson was the one who really wanted to bring in Jason Moss and got rid of Stephen McAdoo to do so. And then now he completely flipped after just two seasons with Moss there in an offensive line that wasn't very good, and you look at the numbers, and yes, it's easy to say in hindsight now, but McAdoo was the guy who helped Fajardo have the best season of his career so far in the CFL, and with Moss, it got worse. Now, it should be said that Moss was also calling plays with a quarterback, 
who is usually a dual threat guy. And it seemed like Moss was starting to use him in that way a little more. They were getting more in sync together in 2022. But then Fajardo takes that hit to the knee. He's playing with a brace all season. I think the major error here that's not being talked about enough was that Fajardo did not sit out multiple games to try to get that knee back close to 100%. And even alluded to it in an interview with the Rod Pearson show and said he wishes that he would have taken a couple games off. And I think that was the riders. And we talked about this, Hodge, at the time on the podcast. Needed to protect Fajardo from himself. Teams need to do that with players. And I really feel like that was one of the major downfalls of this season was that they didn't let Fajardo rest and get that knee back healthy when they could have. I believe that would have been in the summer. So that's not necessarily a decision Moss can make on his own. That's an organizational decision when you're talking about a guy who was the face of the franchise in Fajardo and not sitting him down. So it's just interesting if you look at how the perception of Moss changed in the Riders building after just two seasons on the field in Regina. Well, and I will also say this, Jason Moss's refusal to run the football, especially in second half of games this year, was mind-boggling. That offense did a grand total of one thing well, and that was run the football. <laughs> and at the game's most pivotal moments, they would air it out, which which never made sense to me. Uh, it was frustrating watching their games because Jamal Morrow, Frankie Hickson were, were great, right? That was a big question mark heading into the season. People were like, okay. Fajardo's good. Their receiving core is excellent. The old line's the old line's pretty good, but how are they going to replace William Powell at running back? You know who's back there? Well, lo and behold, that was the only part of their offense that really, really worked was that backfield, and Moss seemed to refuse to take advantage of it. But again, the Riders made their bed; they're lying in it right now. And and if Kelly Jeffries, the guy, as you you seem to believe he is, Dunk, maybe he'll be great, right? It, 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 that remains to be seen. But the Riders have made their bed. And they're, and they're, they're, they're trying to sleep in it right now. I don't think they're sleeping very comfy. That doesn't seem comfortable from the outside, but I think maybe this is what they wanted all along. And we'll ultimately see based on how these interviews go. I mean, people always need to be wary too. There could be some dark horses out there or guys that aren't being talked about, which I think is a possibility in Saskatchewan. But from what I've been told inside that building, Jeffrey is the guy that they want to give an opportunity to. And that's not to say he won't do well in that role or that he will do poorly. But Ryder Nation is not going to be happy when you can't get a guy that has experience. That's nothing against Jeffrey whatsoever. But when you're coming off a season where you didn't even make the playoffs in a year where you were hosting the Grey Cup, the Riders fans are out for blood and they want to see tangible change that will help this team get better on the field in 2023 and it's going to be very hard to sell jeffrey if indeed he is named the offensive coordinator star cfl receiver brian burnham announced his retirement on tuesday after eight seasons with the bc lions he finishes his career fourth in leo's history in receptions and receiving yards and seventh in receiving touchdowns how will you remember the five-time all-star i mean uh, electric Right. That that's how I remember Brian Burnham. Brian Burnham, I don't think ever once in his life, maybe outside of like high school, was the fastest guy on the field. But his ability to get the ball in his hands and bring it down in acrobatic positions on throws where where 
you know, before the ball reached him, you'd go, wow, what, what an egregious overthrow or like, oh my, he's got no shot at this. He's got three defenders wrapped around him. Unbelievable. The number of plays that we were, we were lucky enough, frankly, to watch Brian Burnham make. He was an artist on the field. I would not say that about many players I've seen, not just currently in the league, but over the course of my lifetime, um, I'd probably put Jamel Richardson in that category, maybe SJ Green in that category. Uh, I, I'd put G. Roy Simon and Milt Stiegel in that category, maybe a guy like Ben Cahoon, but he's one of the best receivers that I've seen in the CFL. And uh, I, I frankly, I just wish that we, we got to enjoy him a little bit longer. He's only 32 years old, but I know that he's got family commitments down south. Him, him and his wife recently adopted uh, some children. And so, uh, of course, we wish him all the best in his next step. He indicated in his statement through the BC Lions today that uh, he's focusing on his new passion, which is being a husband and father. And so we congratulate him for that. It did seem like Burnham still could have continued to provide those highlight real catches. But as great as he was throughout his career, let's be honest, over the last couple of seasons, he wasn't able to stay on the field consistently. Now, some of those were freak injuries, but I'm sure that factored into this decision for Burnham and his family. And part of that is the health of playing professional football, right? He wants to still be an able-bodied person to be able to provide the great type of dad and father memories that he wants to with his kids. So I think that factored into it as well. But in terms of his career, absolutely outstanding. He is a classic case of an American who came up here and used the waggle to his advantage because Hodge, as you said, he's not a guy that's going to go burn a 40-yard dash and really blaze up the track. But he used that waggle to his advantage and he was so great at tracking the football And then his athletic ability in terms of being able to contort his body while the ball was in the air to make unbelievable catches year after year after year in BC. It didn't really matter who the quarterback was there. was absolutely spectacular. Burnham, and I don't use this term very often, but is one of the good guys in the CFL. He's a guy who I believe is who we believe him to be in front of the camera and away from the camera. He has great relationships with people in that organization, not just the players, but all the guys behind the scenes in the therapy room, the equipment manager, the PR staff, everybody in that organization loves Brian Burnham. And this is going to leave a bit of a hole there because of how beloved he is. And yes, obviously, from a playmaking and talent standpoint on offense, they're going to have to go try to fill that void as well. They do have some up and coming pass catchers, but none of them dare I say, will be Brian Burnham and what he was able to bring to the table for BC. And I thought that this might have been a possibility when you saw how emotional he was with Nathan Rourke after the West Final. That seemed to be an indication that it could have been his last run. He got back healthy to get onto the field in the playoffs for BC. Either way, even though he doesn't have a great cup ring to his name, Burnham will go down as one of the all-time best receivers in the CFL because of those highlight real catches that he made. Well, I, I think the Lions will be just fine. Keon Hatcher really arrived this year. Dominic Rimes, I think, established himself as a top-five receiver. And Lucky Whitehead could still come back. He's a petting free agent, but you probably don't have to pay as much for Lucky Whitehead today 
as you might have a year or two years ago. Um, to me, Brian Burnham figured it out. And what I mean by that is a lot of players, especially guys who don't have a great cup ring, stay on that treadmill forever, right? They're, they're always chasing that next one, that next play, that next title, that next ring, that next whatever. And at a certain point in time, for, for any athlete, it doesn't matter if you're Tom Brady or a guy who gets cut the first day of your rookie training camp and goes and sells insurance, your career is going to end at some point. And your job as a professional athlete is to be prepared for that day. And that was one of the first things I thought about, Dunk, when exactly you mentioned it. After the West Final, Brian Burnham never won a West Final. He never even went to a Grey Cup in his career. But he's the one holding... Nathan Rourke, a sobbing 24-year-old quarterback who at that point probably knew. We don't know that for a fact yet, but probably knew at that point that Burnham had played his last game. And Brian Burnham it looks looks resolved. He, he looks fine. He looks content. He looks like he's realized that life is about so much more than this game. Of course, the game is important. Of course, you want to win. Of course, you want all those things. But he looked to me like somebody who had something more important waiting for him back home. And for him to come to that realization, which so many athletes fail to do before their careers are over, some of them 10, 20 years later still have not figured it out, that their identity cannot just be football player forever. There is actually a person there outside of just what goes on on the field. I give him full credit. It speaks to his his humility. It speaks to his ability to to self-reflect, his self-awareness, and frankly, his intelligence. The maturity level is off the charts. And those are the things that I think are going to make him, obviously, a fantastic father to his children. A couple of things real quick. I think Brian Burnham and Tom Brady are much different because Brady's going to play probably till he's 50. And Brady didn't care that it was going to affect his marriage. And now him and Giselle aren't together. I don't think Burnham was ever going to let that happen. And the other thing, and I didn't play football in the pros, but to your point, Hodge, of guys viewing themselves as football players, it might sound weird to some people out there, but a lot of university football players go through that as well because you've been playing football ever since you were a kid in a lot of cases, all the way through university. And even the guys that didn't make the pros, and I was one of them, I would have loved to have a shot in the CFL to play quarterback legitimately. That's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But when my career ended, even at the university level, there was a difficult transition period there that I had to go through that lasted, to be quite honest, multiple years and affected the long-term relationship that I was in at the time because I was not used to walking into a room and just knowing that you had 100 of your best buddies there behind you all the time, working with you, fighting for the same thing. The camaraderie, the bonds that you develop in there. And people talk about it. And yeah, it kind of becomes cliche at times, but it's the God's honest truth that you cannot replicate that in really any other scenario in quote, the real world. So that was something that I really struggled with leaving the game. And then I ended up living in a different city for a little while in Oshawa. And that whole situation really made me introverted because I didn't feel like I had those boys or people that were around me that were of the same mindset. So there's a big transition process that usually has to happen. And for some players like Burnham, they're already beyond that. They realize that they're not just a football player and there is more to life than that. But for other players, be it at the even high school level, university level, or the pro level, 
it can hit them really hard and fast when they're released or when they don't have teams that are calling or when they actually finally have to go through that transition of not being a football player anymore and not having your life consumed 24-7 with football. So I can totally understand and really see how Burnham was so mature to be ready for that transition in his life. Yeah, full credit to him. When you, You're right. When your identity is football, what is left? When football is taken away, right? And and there, I do think there are other professions in life that are all-consuming like that. I think we all know at least one person in our lives whose identity is totally wrapped up solely in what they do for a living. Uh, I just think it happens more often in professional sports because, of course, you can't play professional sports until the day you die. It's just not going to happen realistically if you live a long, full life. Nobody is out here playing professional sports at 80 years old. Though Tom Brady, I'm sure... We'll try. Uh, so full credit to Burnham. We're going to miss seeing him. But hopefully we will. Hopefully I haven't seen the last of him. Right. You know, whether it's media appearances, whatever. I'm sure we will see Brian Burnham at some point again in the future, even if it's not on the field. In a story our listeners probably don't know anything about. There's a Canadian quarterback named, Ray, <laughs> named Rourke. Am I saying that? Is it Rourke? That, that's right. Rourke. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's this. There's a quarterback named Nathan Rourke, and he's Canadian. Um, and he's actually touring NFL teams at the moment. He's visited the Las Vegas Raiders, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Denver Broncos. We've never talked about this player before. So, Dunk, please fill in our listeners. What <laughs> what should they know about this individual named Nathan Rourke? Well, he was born in BC and then moved to Ontario, played some high school football in Oakville, went down to Alabama, played at Edgewood. Didn't get a scholarship there after leading Edgewood Academy to a couple state titles, went to Fort Scott Community College started Ohio University, and even though people didn't think he could play well in the pros of the quarterback position, he actually had a tryout with the New York Giants as a receiver, if you can believe it now. And I bet the Giants would like to sign him as a quarterback after what he showed on the field this year with the BC Lions. That, of course, would be Nathan Rourke. Everybody knows and loves him. We know that by the traffic on the side. Anything we write about on that guy does very well, and he's making the rounds in the NFL and looking for a situation that will give him a legitimate chance to compete, to be on an active roster, and where he can see a pathway to being a starter. I think it's difficult to predict what team that might be at the present day because, as you can see, things are ever-changing in the NFL. For example, Baker Mayfield was just released by the Carolina Panthers midseason. A former number one overall NFL draft pick is a guy that you can get on waivers right now. So things happen fast in the NFL. And I think that's why Rourke will need to see some situations play out before he ultimately chooses where his destination will be in the NFL. And that's something that I believe will happen. I believe he will be able to make a choice between multiple teams. Hodge, you had a great tweet that said that if Nathan Peterman can still start games in the NFL, then for damn sure, and I'm adding the damn part in there, Nathan Rourke can start games in the NFL because that is the 100% absolute truth. So he needs to see how some situations play out. Another example, the Tennessee Titans, who are leading the AFC South, fired their general manager, John Robinson, on Tuesday. Again, in the middle of a season, in the middle of a playoff push. So these are the types of things that I feel like happen faster and change quickly in the NFL. 
So some of this stuff needs to play out and Rourke and his agent will have to do their due diligence in terms of the relationships, especially that his agent has to get real tangible information from these teams on what they're going to do at the quarterback position. It's all fine and great if they give Rourke a big signing bonus and guarantee a bunch of his salary, but Rourke and his camp know that it's the opportunity and a legitimate one that are more important than anything else in this situation. Yeah, our guy J.C. Abbott created a ranking of all 32 NFL teams based on which one Nathan Rourke uh, or based on which would be the best fits for Nathan Rourke. Obviously, uh, Nathan is the one who gets to decide what the true ranking should be, though Nathan did reply to the tweet with an intriguing gif, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, the guy sitting back and eating popcorn. He was entertained by it. I will say during Great Cup Week, I had a lot of conversations about Nathan Rourke, and I had people say, oh, well, he should go to the Panthers. You know, they're, they're, you know, their quarterback situation is a mess, or you should go to the Jets. Their quarterback – I'm sorry, no. To me, the best thing for Nathan Rourke to do is find a team – like the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, uh, the Denver Broncos, the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that has a well-entrenched starter behind whom he can learn and grow and compete in time. Number one thing he needs to do, as you said, Dunk, is find that fit with a coaching staff that believes in him, wants to work with him, and will, will in time grow to trust him, potentially under center. To me, the last thing you'd want to do, and I'd feel the same way, by the way, if I was a draft pick going into the NFL, the last thing I'd want to do is go to the Carolina Panthers, right? uh, An absolute quarterback graveyard. The Indianapolis Colts have been the same way since Andrew Luck retired. Every year, they bring in another one or two quarterbacks, they chew them up, and they spit them right back out. The Washington Commanders are another team like that. I get that maybe the path to being a starter there is a little bit shorter, But to me, it's not about finding the quickest path to being a starter. It's about finding the path to the longest tenure of success that you can have as an NFL quarterback. And I think Nathan is an extremely intelligent young man. I think he knows that. And I think that that's the path that he's going to take. Ideally, Rourke has at least a year to just learn in the NFL. So I think that speaks to the situation that you're talking about, Hodge. That would be ideal. Maybe it's two where he can get comfortable in an offense, where he can go to a team that he has at least an idea of, where the head coach and the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach could be entrenched there for a while. And I think NFL teams need to look at Rourke as potentially a mid-round draft pick. We're talking about a guy that dominated the CFL and put up numbers that we have not seen in a long, long, long time. And yes, he was on pace to break a bunch of records, but even just the games that he played, he was dominant. And he showed he can come back, fight through an injury, and still play at a relatively high level in the playoffs in that West Final. Was that the best version of Nathan Work? No. But the fact that he was able to come back in such a quick recovery time from that Liz Frank surgery is going to bode well for his NFL future. So I think that's the ideal scenario for Rourke. And if teams look at him that way, where he can get at least a year to learn and isn't forced into action unless there's a rash of injuries, that could do really well for him. And you mentioned a team like the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford has just been put on IR. He's probably done for the season. And they don't have a bunch of high draft picks because they traded them away. So these teams that have 
made moves such as that and maybe don't have the high picks to go out and get quarterbacks in the draft should be looking at Nathan Rourke. And the other factor in the situation that I don't think has been talked about enough is the new NIL deals in the NCAA and how NCAA players now could potentially get paid more than they would as NFL rookies. Like We're talking about the big name guys like Bryce Young at Alabama, for example, might just stay there and play out his eligibility because he's guaranteed to make that money. There's no guarantee that he's right. going to be making that kind of cash in the NFL because you don't know exactly where you're going to go in the NFL draft, even though more and more of these deals have increasing amounts of guaranteed money. So I think Rourke is actually in a favorable situation here because he has starred at the NCAA level for Ohio University, and he's shown at the pro level, and some people out there might scoff at it, but it's true. Chad Ochocinco Johnson has talked about this, that he feels like the talent in the CFL is very comparable to the talent in the NFL. It's just the freaks that are the difference. So if you're a team out there, you know that Rourke is proven in the sense that he dominated in the CFL. And he's shown that if you bring him into the building, his work ethic is going to be just as good as anyone else's in there, if not second to none. Well, and we know, obviously, what he can do on and off the field. He's also turning 25 this offseason. A little old for a draft pick, but we have seen quarterbacks in previous years get drafted. Older than that, the most famous would be, of course, Brandon Whedon, who I think was, was he pushing 30? When he was yeah, Chris Wanky was a first-round draft pick, I believe, way back in the day, and he was almost 32. Yeah, so so we there is precedent for, for quarterbacks older than Rourke being viewed as as legitimate draft picks. So he's certainly a, a, probably a year or two older than NFLs would optimally, optimally see him, but he's he's certainly not too old. He's certainly not aged out of the process like some other players might when they reach, you know, 28, 29. It's time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2019, the Ottawa Red Blacks hired Paul Apelice as the second head coach in team history. Lapo had recently finished his fourth season as Winnipeg's offensive coordinator, where he led a creative, run-heavy attack that culminated in a great cup in 2019. He went 6-22 and in two seasons as the head coach of the Red Blacks before being fired by the team in October 2022. The 52-year-old served as a panelist for TSN during their postseason coverage of the Grey Cup playoffs and could be back doing so in 2023 as he reportedly does not plan to coach next season. Dunk, we already talked about Lapo in this episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. What's your takeaway from him being hired as the Red Blacks head coach three years ago today? Well, it's interesting that that Hodges Heritage moment pops up on the podcast where we talk about Bob Dice was named the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks to take over for the fired Lapoli. So that is very interesting to me. But, you know, there was a lot of hype at that time. I can remember, you know, the Red Blacks put out a video of Lapoli getting picked up at the airport by then GM Marcel Desjardins. And people had high expectations and they were flatly not met by Lapoli. And he would probably be the first to admit that and you talk to people around the league and they feel like Lapolis is a really good really great really high level offensive coordinator but perhaps in two stints now as a head coach he's just not great in that role so sometimes you have to realize what you are where your strengths are and play to those and that's why he can educate CFL fans on TV and it's why 
eventually, if he wants to go back into it, he'll be a great offense coordinator in this league for probably as long as he wants to be. Yeah, to me, I think that's something that we say almost as a detriment to longtime coordinators who maybe weren't amazing head coaches. Uh, Rich Stubler would fit that category. George Cortez would fit that category. Richie Hall would probably fit that category. Even Jeff Reinbold was a very good special teams coordinator, was not a successful head coach. To me, I don't think that that is something that should be viewed as a negative because at the end of the day, being a great coordinator is an extremely difficult thing to do in its own right. No one's ever been upset at, you know, Stanley Bryant that he's a lousy quarterback. He's an amazing (laughs) tackle, right? You could just be an amazing OC or an amazing DC. Like that is, that is such an important thing to be able to do. So to me, I, I wish that, that great coordinators who fail as head coaches, they weren't, they weren't seen in such negative light, but maybe that's just my perception. Now that you put the idea out there, can we get Buck Pierce to have Brian at least run a quarterback sneak next year for the Bombers? Well, Stanley Bryan has to be on the team next year for that to happen. I'm not sure that's a guarantee. We'll see. Oh, dun, dun, dun. All right, let's keep it moving. The three-minute drill. The Edmonton Elks released a bunch of veteran players this past week, including one Mr. Deron Carter. Did that move surprise you? No, but... It's It still boggles my mind that Chris Jones loaded up a team of veterans, stunk most of the year, and then cut them up. Like, what? why didn't you develop some more young players? I, I, I don't get it. James Wilder Jr. tweeted that he's been released by the Elks after suffering a broken neck this past season, though the team says he remains on the roster. Your thoughts? Man, it's just another thing to go along with what you said. Some of the moves just haven't made sense there, and the fact that it's now... He said versus the team said with Wilder Jr., who Chris Jones hailed as one of the leaders of this group and was going to help them turn around, just is very head-scratching to me. There needs to be a clear focus. I think Jones will bring that because it's definitely clear to me that he's going younger with this roster. And it makes sense that Wilder Jr. would be released because the team already re-signed Kevin Brown. Bombers general manager Kyle Walters told the media last week that Michael Shea's contract extension remains a work in progress. Do you believe that, Hot? No, I, I believe Farhan Lalaji's report that he has agreed to terms, though it's bizarre that the Bombers have let this languish for, for so long. I don't get it. Cody Fajardo told the Rod Peterson show that the Riders have not communicated with him since the end of this past season, calling it, quote, unfortunate, close quote. Do you think there's any chance we'll see him back in Regina? There's a chance just based on looking at the quarterback landscape across the league. Do the Riders seem to want him back very badly? No, but we'll see who ends up being the offense coordinator. And if indeed it is Kelly Jeffrey, I've been told that he actually likes Dane Evans. So it would be hard to try to sell that to Rough Rider fans that oh, we got a new OC, but we're going to bring back same quarterback as the starter so perhaps in a backup role or at least to compete for that number one role I could see it but I think it would ultimately be best honestly for Fajardo to move on to an entirely new situation the BC Lions could use a starting quarterback or at least a guy to be competitive with Vernon Adams Jr. I could see that situation playing out there's multiple other spots that are going to need to be filled in terms of quarterback depth charts across the league so I think it would be best for Fajardo to not be back with Saskatchewan, but there's still a chance. Blue Bombers linebacker Adam Big Hill received the Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Jubilee Medal 
for contributions to the community in Manitoba. How cool is that? I think it's very cool for a guy like Adam Big Hill, who's such an amazing player on the field, is a great family man off the field, also works an off-season job. It is amazing how much time he finds to get out and be active in the community. Full credit. The Edmonton Elks signed Denzel Washington, a defensive back who is not to be confused with the famous actor. Dunk, what is your favorite Denzel Washington movie? Man, I couldn't pick one favorite, but Training Day would be up there. American wow. Gangster was great. And, of course, we're on a football podcast. So remember the Titans, excuse me, remember needs to be mentioned. Absolutely. Do you have one, hot? It has to be Remember the Titans, 100%. All right, my man. Former CFL All-Star running back Jerome Messam will have a criminal record after receiving a suspended sentence for his voyeurism conviction. Is that deserved? Well, the Calgary Herald quoted the justice who, who made the decision. We credited the quote on three down. You know, the justice indicated they have sympathy for Messam because at the end of the day, this charge did cost him his career. Um, but at the end of the day, as the judge stated, right, uh, an offense like this needs to have a serious punishment. So, you know, uh, obviously Messam has received that. Last one, the UBC Thunderbirds defeated the Simon Fraser Red Leafs. I still hate that name. To win the Shrumble, the first interaction of the game in 12 years. What does that mean for you, sports? It shows that there's legitimate talent that competes in U Sports that could compete in the NCAA. I've talked to Nick Weeb, the University of Oregon transfer, who's from just outside of Calgary and is now applying his trade to the University of Saskatchewan, about this extensively. And he says, similar to what Chad Johnson said about the CFL, that there are a bunch of players in U Sports that could compete in the NCAA. The difference is the freak athletes, the Penne Sewell for example, that he played with and went against in practice, who was a fantastic offensive lineman and now is in the NFL, was a very high draft pick coming out of the University of Oregon. So I think it shows even further to the people that don't know and need to know that the talent in U sports is legitimate. And a bunch of the players that are on that field in U sports can compete in the NCAA, which obviously gets way more hype and has bigger stadiums filled with hundreds of thousands of fans usually every saturday down in the united states that's it for this edition of the three down nation podcast thanks for joining me mr hodge and be sure to tune in next week we'll see you then wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.